Welcome to Integrative Medicine Solutions with Forum Health, the podcast. Our nationwide network of integrative and functional medicine providers believe in a new standard of healthcare, one that creates optimal health by focusing on partnering with you, understanding your needs, learning about your unique health history, and getting to the root cause of your concerns. Using advanced testing, emerging therapies, and the latest technology, Forum Health providers are at the forefront of integrative and functional health care for all. Your journey to better health starts here. Tonight, our speaker is Dr. William Epperly, a board-certified family practitioner with over 30 years of experience, including 15 in functional and integrative medicine. With a background in clinical nutrition, he works to treat a variety of issues, including allergies, hormone imbalances, chronic fatigue, and bowel problems. Dr. Epperly graduated from the University of Illinois College of Medicine and completed his family practice residency at St. Joseph Hospital in Chicago. He's affiliated with Central DuPage Hospital, although his practice is exclusively office-based. Dr. Epperly is also a certified clinical nutritionist, a fellow of the American Academy of Family Practice, a member of the Christian Medical and Dental Association, and belongs to the Obesity Medicine Association and North American Menopause Society. He has also received special training through courses and seminars in the areas of allergy, hormone therapy, and clinical nutrition. Welcome, Dr. Epperly. Thank you so much for speaking with us tonight. I'm now gonna pass over the controls to you um, so we can get started. Great, thank you very much, Britt, for that introduction and welcome everybody tonight. I'm excited to be able to talk about hormones to everybody. And I like the title, um, I'll be honest with you, that wasn't my title. My title was you don't have to live with it because that is um, what uh, the title of a book was that a former mentor of mine wrote about uh, bioidentical hormones. And um, the reason for that title is because a lot of patients when they experience symptoms of menopause are basically uh, faced with um, someone telling them, well, you just kind of have to live with it. It's part of uh, natural, you know, it's a natural part of life. Um, and it is a natural part of life, but there is a lot that can be done to uh, make it better. So tonight we're going to be talking about managing menopause, which is uh, when a woman transitions from normal ovarian function to declining hormone function. And we're gonna talk also about menopause, which is um, a broader time period in a man's life when his testosterone gradually declines and that can result in a lot of uh, issues for a man. <clears throat> Years ago, one of my patients told me that when she went to her doctor, uh, she was complaining of hot flashes and night sweats and insomnia and things like that. And the uh, response that she got was, um, was disconcerting. It was basically, welcome to menopause, dearie. Um, and I think that was accompanied by a pat on the head. Uh, and she wasn't too happy about that. And I don't think I would have been either um, because there really is a lot that can be done uh, to treat menopause. So you don't have to live with it. Now tonight's talk is going to apply to both women and men. It's for women mostly over 40 and uh, men over 35, generally speaking. So first of all, 
what is a hormone? Because um, that, that's what we're going to be talking about. A hormone in general is just a chemical, chemical messenger molecule. It's basically one organ, uh, in this case, an endocrine gland, sending out a chemical to a bunch of other organs. It's a messenger molecule, and it's giving them instructions on what to do. Now, bioidenticals are not a drug or a medication. They're not medicine but they are usually obtained only by prescription and they can be obtained through regular pharmacies or compounding pharmacies. And we'll talk more about that. Now, some bioidentical hormones are available over the counter, but you have to be careful with those because the dosing, the potencies of those is oftentimes rather uncertain. Now, uh, non-bioidentical hormones are drugs, for example, birth control pills, Provera, et cetera. And as I said, um, hormones are produced by endocrine glands. And in this case, we're gonna talk about hormones from the ovaries and the testes. So what does bioidentical mean? Well, it means basically that the molecule exactly matches the molecule in your, that your body actually produces and is measurable by a blood test, just the same as your own innate hormones are. So uh, atom for atom, bond for bond, it's exactly the same molecule. Now, bioidentical does not mean compounded. And that's a common misconception, even amongst doctors. So for example, a patient may go to her doctor and ask about bioidentical hormones, and he might say, oh, I don't use those. When in fact, he, he certainly might use those, and we'll talk about why that's the case when we talk about examples of bioidentical hormones. So bio, uh, these are examples of bioidentical hormones that can be used to replace or supplement what you already have. Some of you may already use melatonin, you may be on DHEA, uh, there are several others here. These are all bioidentical examples of bioidentical hormones. Now, we're only going to be talking about a few of those tonight, uh, basically the sex hormones. And that's these. Now, these sex hormones are present in both sexes. So testosterone is high in men and low in women. Estrogen or estradiol, also called E2, uh, because of its molecular structure, is high in women and low in men. Estriol is the same. Estriol is also called E3, and that's the same. It's high in women, low in men, and progesterone, also called P4, is the same. So what are symptoms of low estrogen in women? Well, the one that probably everybody knows about are hot flashes, or just feeling hot all the time. And the Medical term for that is uh, vasomotor instability. Another symptom is night sweats. Uh, another one is weight gain. Then there's vaginal dryness, moodiness or irritability. Uh, insomnia is very common. Sometimes insomnia is the only symptom, actually. And then, of course, when the estrogen is low for a long period of time, then you stop having periods, and the term for that is amenorrhea. Uh, now, Suzanne Summers has written a bunch of books uh, about women's health, and she calls the symptoms of menopause the seven dwarfs of menopause, which are itchy, bitchy, sweaty, sleepy, bloated, forgetful, and all dried up. Now, surprisingly, in that list, uh, hot flashes are not mentioned, even though that's the classic symptom. So I guess there was no dwarf for hot flashes. 
So what does estrogen actually do? Well, uh, it supports the formation and maintenance of the female organs, obviously, uh, but it also prevents skin aging. It permits and supports pregnancy. That's kind of um, obvious since pregnancy is involving the uterus and, and whatnot. It helps with weight control. Now, um, <clears throat> some women, uh, when they talk to me, they, they say they're, they don't want to go on estrogen because they don't want to gain weight. It's actually the opposite where estrogen actually helps with weight control. And in fact, one of the reasons that women tend to gain weight perimenopausally is because their estrogen is declining. So in fact, there's a book written by Elizabeth Lee, Dr. Lee, called Women, Weight, and Hormones, and it talks exactly about that. Estrogen also supports vaginal health. It builds up the uterine lining and affects menstruation. It also affects cholesterol levels and happily, it alleviates most of the symptoms of menopause. Also, estrogen supports bone growth and maintenance. And this is really important. We'll talk more about this, but I'm, I'll just mention here that putting a woman with osteopenia or osteoporosis on bioidentical estrogen um, and testosterone actually can reverse bone loss and bring... I've had women go from osteoporosis to normal bone density after being on estrogen for a period of time, which is a lot better than going on a Didronel or Fosamax or something like that, which, is, which are drugs used to uh, try to make your bone stronger, but they do it through a different mechanism. Um, estrogen has an indirect effect on thyroid economy. Uh, it can cause thyroid cell proliferation, can influence the development of, or growth of thyroid cancer. Um, estrogen supports the urinary tract and your pelvic muscles. Uh, it supports the heart and blood vessels and improves microvascular circulation. It supports healthy hair and it supports your mucous membranes. And another big one is that it supports the brain. So what does estrogen do for your skin specifically? Well, it supports collagen formation. So it decreases wrinkling, particularly around the, uh, the lips. So uh, some women, as they age, they get like vertical lines kind of perpendicular to their lips. And uh, that is um, uh, largely due to estrogen deficiency. Estrogen also improves skin moisture. It increases sebum, which makes your skin shine. Sebum is that kind of greasy stuff that uh, can, uh, when, it's, when it's out of control, can, can exacerbate acne. But everybody has to have some sebum in their skin. <coughs> Excuse me. And that kind of makes your skin shiny. And estrogen finally supports uh, wound healing. So what does estrogen do for your brain? Well, uh, there are studies that have shown that estrogen has reversed or prevented memory decline in women who had their ovaries removed. It also helps protect against neurotoxins. It helps neurons regrow. And it helps regulate mood, probably through its interaction with the serotonergic system. That's a system that involves the neurotransmitter called serotonin. So what about testosterone in women? Well, this is interesting. It turns out that women actually have more testosterone than estrogen. And also interesting is that the testosterone receptor gene is actually located on the X chromosome. And if any of you know a little bit about um, 
about genetics, you know that it's the XY chromosome that um, uh, turns an um, embryo into a male, right? It's the X, if a woman is, if a person is XX, they're a female. If they're XY, they're a male. And the testosterone gene, which is usually associated with men, is actually on the X chromosome. So I just found that kind of interesting. Testosterone in women is also mood stabilizing. It, it helps to decrease anxiety, irritability, and aggression. It supports strong muscles. It increases energy. It helps support normal metabolic function. It improves sex. And here's a big one. It protects against breast cancer. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit. So what are symptoms of low testosterone in women? Well, reduced libido, sex drive, decreased sexual satisfaction, orgasmic dysfunction, where a woman may have problems with climaxing, um, sluggishness, muscle weakness, fatigue, sleep disturbances, weight gain, and even fertility issues. Um, what are symptoms of low testosterone in men? Well, somewhat similar, reduced sex drive, you know, low libido, erectile dysfunction, a loss of body hair and less beard growth, loss of muscle mass, chronic fatigue or tiredness, apathy or lack of mot motivation or even um, uh, depression, uh, obesity, and other symptoms of depression. So what effect does testosterone have on sexual health? Well, it increases sex drive, fantasies, sexual thoughts. It leads to easier arousal, better orgasms, more responsiveness, just more overall sexual pleasure, and it increases blood flow to the genitalia. Now here's the big question, and I hear this a lot. Whenever I introduce the idea to someone about going on bioidentical hormones, the question I always get is, well, don't they cause cancer? And that's kind of the myth that we've been living under for years and years. And uh, so I want to talk about that. Are hormones safe to use? So I have several comments about that. The first one is that you've had these hormones in you your whole life, and they've helped you hugely as long as they were balanced. I mean, this is what, you know, causes breast development, allows you to get pregnant, um, just all kinds of normal, healthy things that estrogen does for a woman. So estrogen is very important in the quality of life for women. And testosterone is also important in the quality of life for women and, of course, men. Now, to me, it seems unlikely that they'd be good for you the first half of your life and then turn around and stab you in the back the second half. That, to me, just seems very unlikely. So some studies suggest that estrogen replacement has been associated with an increased risk of cancer, but they did not look at properly used bioidenticals, which were balanced, especially balanced with bioidentical progesterone. Now, it may be true that the longer a woman's exposure to estrogen by themselves, the higher her risk of breast cancer by a small percentage. But again, we rarely use estrogens by themselves. So overall, most of the time, the benefits of hormones far outweigh the risks, and the risks are reduced when other things are added. And here's how you can reduce your risk of breast cancer. First of all, you use cycled progesterone. That means that you take progesterone for a minimum of 12 days per month, 
and you can do it as much as 26 days per month. Uh, and some of our patients who have had hysterectomies who are on estrogen, we'll just have them do progesterone six days a week, maybe take Sundays off. Now, um, I'll just mention here, like why do we cycle progesterone? The belief is, is that if you use progesterone continuously every day without any breaks, that the progesterone receptor sites become like fatigued or bored of seeing estrogen and they become what's called down-regulated which means they become less responsive to the effects of progesterone. So for that reason, we give the progesterone receptor sites a break um, monthly or weekly so that they can keep them fresh. Another way of reducing breast cancer risk is uh, with estrogen use is using either I3C or DIM to promote the healthy metabolism of estradiol. Because it turns out that when estradiol is metabolized, it can be um, sent into one of three pathways. And two of the pathways result in healthy metabolites. One of them uh, is an unhealthy metabolite. And so I3C or DIM helps to shunt the metabolism into the two healthy pathways. Now, another way of reducing breast cancer is exercise. And I'm gonna show you a slide here in a second about that. Of course, a low toxin diet that's rich in antioxidants is helpful. That's what we, that's part of the anti-cancer lifestyle. Um, one study showed that wearing a bra to bed increased your risk of breast cancer. So avoid doing that. Um, now it turns out that testosterone pellet implants reduces your risk of breast cancer. We're gonna talk more about that too. Now, the good news is, um, women who do develop breast cancer while on HRT tend to have less aggressive, i.e. more easily treated disease. So that's a good thing too. Now, what about exercise and breast cancer? Well, exercise can definitely lower your chances of getting the disease. There have been many studies exploring the relationship between physical activity and the chances of developing breast cancer, and most data suggests that exercise lowers the risk. In fact, the National Cancer Institute has said that there's a risk reduction range between 20 and 80%. That's huge. And most research indicates that moderate to high intensity exercise for between 30 and 60 minutes per day does make an impact. So that's roughly about three to four hours a week total. Now, why um, are bioidentical hormones. Why is this such a big deal, bioidentical versus synthetic? Well, here's an example of why that's a big deal. So let's take progesterone, for example. So bioidentical progesterone reduces breast cancer risk. Synthetic progestins like Provera or um, um, Agestin or Athendrone, for example, increases breast cancer risk. Um, bioidentical progesterone reduces risk of stroke and heart attack. Synthetic progestins increase your risk of stroke and heart attack. And then lastly, progesterone reduces artery plaque formation. Synthetic progestins promote artery plaque formation. So in general, the risk of breast cancer by age is uh, in your 30s, it's around one in 200. Now, that's when your estrogen levels are high, right? Now, in your 70s, when your estrogen levels are very low, the incidence skyrockets to one in 10. So, it, again, that kind of argues a little bit against the, issue, the idea that estrogen causes breast cancer because, because of these, these numbers. 
Now, what about using estrogen after breast cancer? Um, now, again, I don't necessarily want to use Suzanne Summers as the expert, but she actually has written over 20 books on women's health, and she doesn't write them out of her own her own mind. She goes around and interviews uh, lots and lots of experts in the field. And so after she had breast cancer, uh, she actually went back on hormone therapy and has done fantastically well and is a really strong women's health advocate. But there are actual studies looking at estrogen after breast cancer. And an observational study showed that estradiol replacement after breast cancer resulted in a lower overall mortality risk than no estrogen. So I think that's important. Now, in contrast to that, a randomized controlled study showed an increased risk of breast cancer recurrence, but the exact hormone treatment was not controlled for. And instead, the HRT was whatever the norm for local treatment was, which in many or most cases would have been Premarin or Prempro and not bioidentical estradiol and estriol plus cycled bioidentical progesterone. So a huge difference there. There's also the Women's Health Initiative study, which looked at 10,000 women. And uh, the women who just got Premarin, which are horse estrogens, had a tr trend toward fewer breast cancer cases. The women who got Premarin and Provera had, a slightly, had slightly more cases of breast cancer. Now, neither the estrogens nor the progesterone were identical to human hormones. Then a former mentor of mine, Dr. Gino Tutera, uh, who was a big proponent of hormone pellet implants, and that's who I actually trained with, he did his own uh, little study where he looked back at 376 women patients of his who had uh, pellet implants over a period of 10 years, and he looked back to see how many of them got breast cancer. And their, uh, the pellets that they got were estradiol and testosterone, and they were given cycled oral progesterone. Now, statistically, over 10 years, 376 women, there should have been as many as, say, 20 cases of breast cancer. So guess how many there were? were zero cases. So to me, that's kind of astounding. Now, what about testosterone pellet implants and cancer? Well, testosterone pellet implants are associated with a significantly lower risk of breast cancer. And there are multiple papers in the medical literature about this. As far as men goes, testosterone does not cause prostate cancer. Now, Granted, if you have prostate cancer, since it's a, it's a testosterone-dependent tissue, testosterone can make it grow faster, which is why we monitor PSAs for men who are getting testosterone replacement. What about testosterone in the heart? What's the effect there? Now, I had a patient just this week, I think, tell me that they didn't want to use testosterone or their husband. I know what it was. A woman told me that her husband did not want to use testosterone therapy because it was bad for your heart. And it's actually the opposite, the exact opposite. Testosterone replacement lowers the risk of heart attack in men. And there are more than a hundred studies on this. Testosterone reduced, um, or there's reduced cardiovascular risk with higher endogenous testosterone concentration. In other words, men who have higher T levels have reduced CV risk. 
it's also known that there's improvement of known cardiovascular risk factors with testosterone therapy. And there was reduced mortality in testosterone deficient men who underwent TRT versus untreated men. TRT is testosterone replacement therapy. So what are the increased risks of a man who has low testosterone? Well, again, coronary artery disease, and then something called metabolic syndrome. Metabolic syndrome is a syndrome of insulin resistance where you have at least three out of five things, low HDL, high triglycerides, increased abdominal circumference, high blood pressure, and uh, insulin resistance or diabetes or prediabetes. So if you have three out of five of those, you're, you're deemed as having metabolic syndrome. And so you are at increased risk of that if your testosterone is low. And sort of associated with that is type two diabetes is a, you're at higher risk for. Um, now for men who have congestive heart failure, if they have low testosterone levels, that portends a poor prognosis and it uh, is increased uh, associated with increased mortality. And men who have low testosterone are more uh, at risk of osteoporosis. And I have a few men in my practice who actually have osteoporosis due to low testosterone. Again, testosterone and cardiovascular risk, what does the medical literature say? Well, um, two recent studies in men who received TRT found reduced uh, cardiovascular events uh, in those whose follow-up testosterone normalized compared to the men whose testosterone concentration remained low. Another large observational study noted that testosterone therapy was associated with reduced risk of heart attack in men who were in the highest risk category. Then there was a recently published meta-analysis of 75 placebo-controlled studies, the largest to date, found no evidence of increased cardiovascular risk with testosterone therapy and clear evidence of improved metabolic profiles. And finally, an international expert consensus regarding testosterone deficiency and treatment published in Mayo Clinic Proceedings five years ago concluded there is no credible evidence at this time that testosterone increases CV risk and substantial evidence that it does not. Indeed, there's a strong signal that testosterone therapy may offer cardiovascular benefits to men. So again, what are bioidentical sex hormones? And these are, the, these are specifically the ones um, to know about. The first one, estradiol, that's the most powerful and beneficial of the estrogens. Another, the, the scientific name is called 17-beta-estradiol, and in the office and in practice, we call it, we just abbreviate it E2, and that little diol in there is where that two comes from. The next one is estriol, and this is sort of the gentler, weaker uh, hormone, and um, it's also, we also call it E3, and most of the time, I would say, at least when we're using gels, uh, we combine estriol with estradiol. Um, estrone is the third of the estrogens, and we call, I call this one the bad girl of the estrogens, because, and we avoid using that. That's, estrone is the hormone that goes up uh, post-menopause, and so the ratio of estradiol to estrone actually reverses after menopause. And the advantage of pellets is, is that restores the normal ratio of estradiol to estrone. Um, progesterone is um, 
a hormone that helps to balance the effect of estrogens. And the last one, testosterone, as I said, is present in men and women, and but it's about 120th as much as men have. So some of the examples of the actual products that use bioidentical hormones are these. And now these are, this is not an all-inclusive list. These are just some examples. Um, one product we use in the office uh, a fair amount are Vivel dots. These are little patches about the size of a postage stamp or less. And you put those on your skin uh, twice a week and they slowly release estradiol to your skin. Now that's all it has is estradiol. It doesn't have any progesterone or E3 or testosterone. It's only estradiol. Clomera patch is the same thing, except that's a once a week. I don't use those much because they tend to fall off and leave marks. <clears throat> then there are shots of estradiol, which you can give every week or two. I don't have very many women at all doing that, but that can work. Uh, Prometrium is the brand name of progesterone capsules which they're in peanut oil. So if you're allergic to peanuts, you can't uh, take Prometrium. You would have to use some other form of progesterone. Uh, Estrace is another commercially available form of bioidentical uh, estrogen, uh, estradiol. Uh, testosterone cypionate, this is what we typically use uh, for men. And actually I have one woman doing this, but in a very tiny dose uh, as an injection once a week. Then there are uh, compounded hormones uh, form formulations using estradiol, progesterone, and testosterone. And then there's hormone pellet implants, which is only estradiol and testosterone. What are not bioidentical hormones? Birth control pills are not bioidentical hormones. Those are drugs. Uh, Premarin is not bioidentical. And the name Premarin, in case you don't know, comes from pregnant mare urine. So what they do is they confine pregnant female horses uh, and they kind of dehydrate them and then they put catheters in them and um, harvest their urine and then concentrate whatever's in the urine and that's where Premarin comes from. So it's a mixture, we call it equine estrogens and only one of those estrogens is actually human estrogen and that's the estradiol but it's only in a small amount. So uh, Premarin became one of the most popular prescriptions for many years because it, it was uh, remarkably effective at um, getting rid of hot flashes. Uh, the problem was it's not bioidentical, so it had associated downside to it. Um, and also it was taken orally, which had some other issues uh, with it. Um, the, the next one, Provera, is also not a bioidentical hormone. It's a um, form of progesterone, but it's a synthetic altered form of progesterone. Ethanol estradiol is not bioidentical. That's found in birth control pills. Other forms of progestins um, I mentioned earlier. Now, I put this next, uh, these next ones in here because obviously those aren't bioidentical hormones. But I put them in there to make the point that these are often prescribed, actually they're indicated for the treatment of menopause symptoms, which to me is kind of odd that you would prescribe brain altering drugs to treat the symptoms of menopause when you could just give bioidentical hormones and really treat the root cause. So uh, again, so why use drugs when you can use hormones? So bioidentical hormone replacement therapy or BHRT treats the symptoms of estrogen deficiency.
deficiency, which we've kind of already gone over. Um, so we don't really have to go through these again. Um, but again, just at the bottom, I just wanna remind uh, people that uh, hormones, the estrogen is very effective in treating uh, bone loss. So osteoporosis is severe bone loss. Osteopenia is mild bone loss. Now, we should make note of the fact that thin white females have a pretty high risk of osteoporosis. So uh, we should be screening them for that and not waiting until 65, which is what um, the US Preventive Health Services Task Force, I, I believe recommends is screening for osteoporosis at 65. Well, if you wait until 65 to do screening, you've already lost the game because by that time, uh, most of the osteoporosis has happened because uh, bone loss is most uh, severe uh, within about three to four years after menopause. So if you wait till 65, it's too late. So I generally will do DEXA scans um, a lot sooner, especially for thin white females. So as I said, estrogen prevents and reverses bone loss. Progesterone may help, although it's not for sure. Now in men, testosterone helps reverse bone loss. For some reason in women, it's not as effective. The HRT actually helps prevent breast cancer, which was implied by that slide I showed you about Dr. Kutera's pellet study. Another doctor, Dr. Rebecca Glazer in Ohio has done also testosterone pellet studies. And she's actually combined, she combines her testosterone pellets uh, with anastrozole, which is a, uh, what's called an aromatase inhibitor, which interferes with the conversion of testosterone into estrogen. Um, and uh, we don't do that in our office. We might consider doing that in the future, but, <clears throat> um, but her studies show that testosterone, and I would say either with or without anastrozole reduces the risk of breast cancer. Then there's um, uh, Dr. Kent Holport, who wrote a really nice paper in 2009, and I show this to uh, my patients sometimes who ask about uh, breast cancer and estrogen, uh, especially if their own doctors have told them that estrogen uh, should be avoided because it increases breast cancer. Uh, I showed him this paper, which basically he did an analysis of dozens of other papers. He has 196 references in this paper, which showed that bioidentical estrogen with bioidentical cycle progesterone lowers the risk of breast cancer. And he noted that progesterone inhibits breast tissue proliferation and therefore reduces the risk of breast cancer. Now, BHRT can also save marriages. In my experience, at least one marriage has been saved and many are improved using BHRT because of its mood stabilizing and libido raising effects. So you don't have to face what this woman is facing. The doctor says, we can go with the hormone replacement therapy or skip straight to the husband replacement. So a lot of my patients say, well, how long can I be on these hormones? And because there are other doctors that have told them, oh, you need to get off them as soon as you, you know, as quickly as you can. Well, my answer to that is as long as you want to feel good. The advice to get off hormones as soon as you can is based on flawed data that non-bioidentical synthetic hormone analogs or equine estrogens, which we talked about before, Premarin, which are non-human. Bioidentical hormones keep you younger, longer, and improve your overall quality of life. Now, there's obviously no perfect uh, solutions to things. 
So what are the potential negatives of BHRT? Well, you have to remember to use them, right? And, and actually sometimes that's a real barrier for people. Uh, cost can be an issue, um, especially if they're compounded because this is often out of pocket. There can be bleeding, uh, late periods or worse sometimes, which are controllable with adjusting the doses. Um, if a woman has fibroids or endometriosis, estrogen can make those uh, problems worse. You could get breast tenderness if you have too much estrogen uh, without enough uh, progesterone, that's called estrogen dominance. <clears throat> you can get nipple tenderness, acne, or facial hair if the testosterone is too high, but that's uh, remedied by reducing the dosage. Rarely, and I've never seen this, you could have deepening of the voice from testosterone. And for that reason, I tend to avoid using robust doses of testosterone in women who might be uh, singers, like especially sopranos. But honestly, this has never come up. Um, some of the uh, women don't like the sticky residue, and actually the men also don't like the sticky residue that gels can leave. And uh, sometimes we have to switch to a different gel or cream to, to get rid of that. And uh, one of the real potential issues with hormone gels is that you can spread the hormones to other people or pets. And I've actually heard of a couple of stories of some interesting things happening to pets who, uh, have been got, who have been getting exposed to the hormones. So what are the forms of BHRT? Uh, there are several of them. The first uh, are patches, and I alluded to this earlier, the Vivel Dot or the Chimera. Now, those are only uh, estradiol. Those are commercially available. You can get it from CVS or Walgreens or any place. Then there are creams or gels, and most of those are compounded. There are some commercially available estradiol creams, and of course, there are commercially available testosterone gels. There's probably like four or five of those uh, now. Um, but they're also uh, compounded. <clears throat> and actually on this slide, I, I should have said commercially or compounded, sorry. Um, and there are these things called trochies, and I don't even know where that name comes from, but these are compounded like little footballs that you put under your tongue and dissolve these hormones under your tongue. I never use those. Um, oral BHRT is available, as I said, estrace uh, and Provera, um, not Provera, um, Prometrium. Those are commercially available. Those are bioidentical. Uh, injection BHRT is commercially available. That would be like testosterone cypionate, um, depo estradiol, um, those kinds of things. Then there are pellet implants, uh, which are for estradiol or testosterone only, uh, not for estriol or progesterone. And that is an office procedure, which we'll talk a little bit more about in a second. And then there are also over-the-counter creams of, of um, progesterone and estriol. The problem with these creams is that the doses are kind of unknown. And since they're um, sort of in the supplement category, they're uncontrolled. So you could buy a cream and there could either be nothing uh, that's active in there or there could be too much or who knows what. So I generally um, would advise people kind of to stay away from most of those, unless it's something like the Natrogest or Progest, where we know what the concentrations are. Um, so what about compounding pharmacies? Um, some uh, doctors are reluctant to use compounding pharmacies, and maybe some patients are as well, because they, they wonder, 
can I trust them? And um, so well, what is a compounding pharmacy? Well, a compounding pharmacy is a pharmacy where the uh, medicines or the hormones are uh, prepared inside the facility. And, and because of that, you can pretty much order whatever you want in whatever concentration. And that's what makes compounding pharmacies valuable because if there's not a commercially available form of something, the compounding pharmacies can make it. Well, some doctors say, well, I don't trust compounding pharmacies because you know they're unregulated. Who knows what they're doing? Um, well, it turns out that compounding pharmacies actually are regulated by laws that are administered through the FDA. And they're governed by state pharmacy boards and they're certified by the Pharmacy Compounding Accreditation Board, the PCAB, which was established in 2007 by eight leading pharmacy organizations. So compounding pharmacies just aren't out there just doing their own thing without any oversight. They're actually, um, they're actually watched carefully. So what delivery method would be best for you? Well, that depends on your needs, preferences, and cost. So there's patches, which are, as I say, from the size of a dime to a postage stamp, even up to the size of a nicotine patch. Um, estradiol is the only thing that's available in a patch uh, that's bioidentical, and it's worn on your waist, your thigh, or your bum. Uh, they're waterproof, so you can shower, swim, um, patches can sometimes leave a temporary red mark. And so uh, I tend to use the Vivel patch or the generic because it's twice a week. So it's less likely A to fall off and B to leave a red mark. Now patches are not compounded, but they are bioidentical. And if it's not covered by insurance, the cost is around $28 to $60 a month uh, if you're using GoodRx. Uh, what about pills? Well, pills are very cheap. Uh, they're less than $10 a month for estradiol, but they have a heavy first pass effect through the liver and could raise clotting factors. So most of the estrogen uh, that you would take orally um, is, is removed from the bloodstream by the liver. And another thing that happens with pills uh, is that you get spiky blood levels because the estrogen half-life is only two hours. And um, another thing that happens with pills is that it raises sex hormone binding globulin levels, which lowers free testosterone because that protein binds to the testosterone hormone and takes it out of circulation so it can't be used. Uh, progesterone capsules are something we use quite often. Now you might say, well, gee, why don't you use uh, estrogen then if you use progesterone? The reason is because progesterone does not have a first pass effect because it's a micronized progesterone, which means that the particles are small enough that they actually um, pass through the lymphatic channels of the intestinal wall rather than into the bloodstream. So they're actually absorbed into the body differently. So that's why you can use progesterone orally. Um, I don't use uh, testosterone pills, mostly for the same reason that I don't use estrogen pills. But I will say pills are usually covered by most insurance. Now, what about sublingual? Um, so as I mentioned trochees earlier, uh, you can dissolve these under the tongue. I don't really use them too much. Um, you could actually use them for all forms of sex hormones and, and hope that they get absorbed uh, through the mucosa of the, of the mouth. But again, you're gonna get spiky blood levels and they're not covered by insurance. Uh, what about injectable? Well. 
uh, a bioidentical form of estrogen that's injectable is called depoestradiol. And a woman would give herself an injection every one to two weeks. Uh, testosterone cypionate, same thing. A man would give himself uh, by self-injection weekly um, or sometimes more often. Now, I do have, I think, one patient who does use a tiny amount of testosterone cypionate on herself and seems to be working out quite well. The nice thing about injectables is the dose is easily changed without needing a new prescription. You can just change how much you drop into the needle. Injectables are usually covered by insurance. Now, of course, some people can't or won't inject themselves, and, and that's fine. Uh, coming into the office for shots is an option. Uh, I know that there's some offices where that's the regular practice. Um, we currently have nobody coming into our office for weekly injections, but we could if that's what the person wanted. And there's compounded creams and gels, again, from Compounding Pharmacy. Uh, the nice thing about putting the hormones directly on your skin is that it eliminates what I call the first pass effect, which is where most of the hormones taken out by the liver. Um, there is a high conversion rate of testosterone into estrogen with transdermals because of the enzyme aromatase uh, in the skin. It's in high levels. So a lot of that testosterone gets converted into estrogen. Uh, so that can be a disadvantage. Now, all the hormones can be delivered transdermally. Now, estrogen and testosterone can actually be applied directly to female genitalia for stronger local effects. Um, the vehicle or the measuring device for creams and gels is either syringe, jars, or topic-click dispensers. And topic-click dispensers are the most common form that we use in the office. That's a little bottle that you twist the bottom of it and it clicks and every click dispenses a quarter of a gram uh, through the top. And then you just rub it on your skin like a roll-on uh, deodorant. Now, compounded creams and gels, you either pick them up on a pharmacy if it's close enough where they will deliver them to you. Uh, as I said earlier, they can be messy and sticky and they can transfer to kids and pets. Uh, the cost of these is somewhere around 40 to 90 per month and I think not usually covered by insurance. The last form are hormone pellet implants and this would be for estradiol and testosterone. The estradiol pellet implant is about the size of a BB uh, testosterone pellets are about the size of a long grain of rice, or in men, the larger uh, pellets are about the size of a Tic Tac. So these hormone pellet implants can be used for both men and women. Uh, we will sometimes use anastrozole to decrease the uh, conversion of testosterone to uh, estradiol. I currently use anastrozole um, in men uh, once a week. Uh, because it's very effective at reducing convergent estradiol. Uh, we haven't started putting them into the pellet yet. So the, um, the way that the pellets are put in is that they're inserted under the skin on the side of your butt through a tiny incision under a local anesthetic. It's about a 15-minute office procedure. Uh, after um, the insertion, the wound is taped closed with a little steri strip, and you just keep it dry for a day and avoid uh, vigorous exercise for about three days. You may, you usually will have a mild soreness for a few days at the site. And then the pellets will usually um, last about three to six months. Um, and and uh, that's when they get reinserted and then we alternate sides. Um, the pellets just sit there and they kind of dissolve. I would say they dissolve like a bar of soap in the shower. They just slowly uh, go away. 
Now, a woman, in terms of estradiol, a woman without her uterus is the ideal candidate because estradiol can cause bleeding uh, otherwise if her dose is high. So, um, but we still use small doses of estradiol pellets in women uh, with uh, a uterus. And um, some women are okay with getting um, some bleeding, some menstrual type bleeding, which can happen if they're, you know, cycling progesterone, which they do need to be on. And by the way, we put them on progesterone whether they have a uterus or not, because the progesterone does other things besides just protect the uterine lining. Um, but great results can be obtained with just testosterone pellets all by themselves. So we have a number of women who don't get estradiol pellets, they only get testosterone. The good thing about hormone, one of the good things, several good things, but one of the good things about pellet implants, you can get very even blood levels, uh, hour to hour, day to day. And Dr. Dutera always said that um, another, another good thing about pellets was that you would be able to get more of the pellet into your system when you needed it. In other words, if you were under stress or exercising a lot, a lot of exertion because of more blood flow and higher temperature, more of that would be released. So that was kind of cool. So um, low dose uh, estradiol pellets uh, can be very good for menstrual migraines. Uh, they do eliminate all the symptoms of menopause usually. They uh, prevent and reverse osteoporosis. They keep you looking and feeling younger. They are, of course, only for women. And you must take oral or transdermal progesterone cyclically uh, to balance the estrogen. Uh, as I said earlier, uh, the progesterone pellets would have to be very large, so we don't use progesterone in pellet form. Now, testosterone pellet implants are for both men and women. The women get one to two pellets, which are about the size of a BB, as I said. Men get four to 10, the size of a long grain of rice or even a Tic Tac, depending upon the size of the pellet. Now, testosterone pellet implants improve stamina, strength, muscle building ability, libido, orgasms, energy, mental clarity, and mood in both sexes. They help with erectile dysfunction. Uh, in women, they also can relieve the symptoms of menopause without even using estradiol. And as I said, they lower the risk of breast cancer in women, lower the risk of cardiovascular disease in men, and reverse osteoporosis in men. What about testosterone pellet implants in the hair? You know, many people assume that if you increase testosterone, uh, that'll increase female pattern baldness. Well, actually, in 2012, Dr. Glazer reported no increase in hair loss in 285 women on pellets for a year. 63% of the women who had hair thinning reported hair regrowth, possibly from the anabolic effect of the testosterone on the hair follicles. All right. Well, it's, uh, it's been a long uh, webinar, and I'm just going to conclude by saying that people's hormones don't decline because they age, but rather people age because their hormones decline. And I think we have a little bit of time for questions, if there are any. Excellent. Thank you so much, Dr. Epperly. Um, again, we're going to open up uh, the class to questions uh, from our audience. Let's see if we have any right now coming in. Okay, um, I have a question that just came in. How long does hormone therapy typically last? So it's um, really as long as you want it to last. There is no set time. 
as I say, because people feel better on uh, HRT, it's kind of as long as you want to feel good. Um, certainly, some people will use it for a period of time and stop and then still feel decent. But for others, they definitely feel worse when they go off of it. So it's pretty much as long as you want, as long as, long as you want to do it. That makes sense. Um, another question just came in from Donia. Does testosterone increase aggression in men? Um, I would say if you keep the testosterone in the physiological range, it shouldn't. Now, obviously it could, but um, if that is something that's happening, it's a very simple matter to just adjust the dose, to just lower it. <clears throat> that makes sense. Uh, let's see if we have any others. Oh, here's a good one. How quickly will I see results from hormone therapy? Now, of course, I'm sure that varies uh, from patient to patient, but is, can you give maybe a rough idea of when, how quickly people would see results? I would say, generally speaking, within a couple of weeks. Within a couple of weeks. Excellent. That's great. Uh, let's see if there's any others. Um, can I safely stop hormone therapy and then start it again after having a period of, of stopping. Does that, yeah. is that something that's okay? Yeah, you know, in fact, I probably should have mentioned this, that uh, HRT can really be started at any age. <laughs> you could be like 10, 15, even 20 years past menopause. And uh, if, uh, if you wanted to, you could start on HRT. Of course, we would start low and go slow, but this would be um, kind of um, something you might see in a woman who uh, has been diagnosed with osteoporosis later in life right. and doesn't want to use drugs, uh, but she's never been on hormones. She can start hormone therapy even at an advanced age. Right. Okay. That's great to know. Uh, let's see. Heidi just wrote in, do you see uh, weight loss after starting hormone therapy in any of your patients? I think um, weight loss is easier with hormone therapy. I wouldn't say just starting hormone therapy automatically leads to weight loss. Mm -hmm. I think obviously healthy diet is the most important thing. I just think that the hormones make it easier to lose weight. And, and conversely, I think the lack of hormones makes it harder to maintain healthy weight. Yeah, sure, that makes sense. Uh, let's see. Another question is, how long should I do hormone therapy for? Um, I again, as long as you, as long as you want to, as long as you need it, uh, whatever. It depends. Also, I guess on the particular problem you're treating. For example, if you have osteoporosis, uh, you may want to stay on it for a lot longer versus someone who just simply wants some help getting through menopause. Mm -hmm, um, sure, but. Um, I think that because of the uh, age retarding effects of estrogen and testosterone, I would think you'd want to stay on it until you're, I, I kind of jokingly tell patients, you can continue it until you're 90 years old and then you have to stop it. <laughs> exactly, right. Because I know Suzanne Summers, I mean, she's been on it for a long time and I, I assume she's well into her 70s or maybe early 80s at this point. Yeah, she's getting up there. And she looks great. She looks fabulous. Yeah, right? Um, yeah, she looks really good. I don't think she plans to stop uh, hormone therapy anytime soon either. Oh, 
Um, let's see, Joy just wrote in, um, with BHRT, I know that you mentioned that it may or will arrest osteoporosis, but it doesn't reverse it. Is that correct? Uh, no, it actually reverses it. It does reverse it. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen that okay. in both men and women, actually. That's amazing. Excellent. Um, yeah, it's actually really cool when it happens. <laughs> yeah, no, that's amazing. I don't think many yeah. people know that. It's kind of a little hidden yeah. fact. Yeah. Um, so Regina just wrote in, she's like, I've not been able to lose weight after nine months. Um, I guess she's doing personal training with weights. She was on hormone replacement therapy and just went off the patch. Should she get on testosterone? And maybe that that's probably more of an involved question, I would think. Well, I, in that case, what we would do is we would look at her levels and, um, and see whether testosterone would be would be good for would you know whether it's a low level or not. Chances are it is. Uh, and I'll say also that the levels of testosterone and the serum that we get with pellets are quite high. And um, but but um, the effects of it are just uh, amazing. So um, so yeah, but it depends on what her levels are and and there's other issues too, you know, with weight loss and things right. like that. And she mentioned exercise and working out with a trainer. Um, it turns out that weight loss is not about exercise. It's really about diet. It's 80% diet and 20% exercise. Now, once you've lost the weight and you're trying to maintain weight loss, then exercise becomes more important. But right. the primary mode of weight loss is, is changing your diet. Yes, which none of us want, want to do. It's a difficult thing to do. Um, but Dr. Epperly can help you do that. So uh, let's see, are there any other questions that just came in? Oh, okay, so Patty just wrote in, will I see noticeable differences in my tissue, uh, I guess her skin after starting HR, uh, HRT? Um, is there any, any issues with, uh, with skin or bruising or scarring, anything like that? So um, skin health is usually enhanced or improved by uh, restoring re normal estrogen levels. Because as one of those slides showed, it's, it supports the health of the skin, get less skin wrinkles, especially around the lips. Uh, estrogen supports wound healing. You won't have increased bruising. There's no negative effects of estrogen on the skin, except like I said, the patch will sometimes leave a red mark right where the patch is. Right. That's about it. But generally, estrogen is great for the skin and for the hair. Mm, nice. Okay. We like to hear that. The ladies out there like to hear that. Um, let's see. Danielle just wrote in, will I see a significant improvement with memory and brain fog? Yes, you may. You know, nothing's guaranteed, but that is definitely one of the uh, benefits that we often see is the alleviation of brain fog when you get the estrogen and testosterone levels up to a good level. That's great. Um, and especially important as you age as well. Uh, Janet just wrote in, how do you test for hormone levels? Is it a blood test and how long does it take to get those results? Uh, it's generally a blood test. Some doctors use saliva tests and some actually even use urine tests. We don't, we don't do that. Um, it's, it's basically a blood draw. The results are back within a few days. That's great. Uh, let's see, Christina just wrote in, what ranges are considered optimal for testosterone, uh, progesterone, uh, estradiol, uh, and everything else? Are you able to, to maybe talk about that briefly? 
Um, well, I mean, I could throw a bunch of numbers out there and it wouldn't yeah. really anything. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's hard to. It's probably, I could like I say I could say a bunch of numbers, but it might not. Right. That yeah. makes sense. But um, I will say that with testosterone and estrogen pellets, we are actually shooting for target ranges that are significantly above, uh, well above so-called normal ranges. Mm. Uh, now, if, if this um, uh, listener is familiar with uh, the blood ranges for estradiol, the range we would uh, shoot for usually, um, well, it depends on what our goals are. If it's for uh, protecting bones, we're looking for between 50 and 70 or above mm. of estradiol. Okay. Uh, but, but yeah, the, there's, and also it kind of depends on the lab too, as far as what their normal ranges are. That makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, is there any other questions? I don't see any from our audience. Um, Oh, here's one that just came in from John. Uh, are there any foods to avoid if you avoid if you have low testosterone? Uh, not that I know of, other than in general, avoiding junk food, sugar, uh, things like that. But to my knowledge, no food specifically um, interact with uh, testosterone in a negative or positive way. Really, it's eating a, a good whole foods diet. Yeah, that's an interesting question, though. I would be, yeah. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, well, thank you, Dr. Epperly, for your time and your expertise on this very important topic. Uh, and to everyone who joined us this evening, uh, it was a really, really great webinar. Um, in the meantime, please visit us at formhealth.com. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Thank you so much and have a great night. Take care, everyone. Thank you, Britt. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Forum Health Podcast. Forum Health is the first nationwide network of integrative and functional medicine providers. To learn more about this topic and to find a Forum Health provider near you, visit forumhealth.com. <laughs>